At the end of King Solomon's reign over Israel, God told a man named Jeroboam that he would become king over all but one of the tribes of Israel. But Solomon wasn't ready to give up the throne, so he tried to kill Jeroboam, who escaped and fled to Egypt. A short while later, Solomon died, and his son Rehoboam was named king. The people were unhappy with the heavy taxes placed on them and went to complain, along with their spokesperson, Jeroboam. Despite their complaints, the king refused to listen. Furious, most of Israel made Jeroboam their leader and lived in the northern territory called Israel, where Rehoboam ruled over the southern tribe called Judah. After being a united country for many years, Israel was now split in two. The new king of the Northern Territory, Jeroboam, was worried that when his people returned to the South in order to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, they might be persuaded to become loyal to Rehoboam instead of him. So he devised a plan. He constructed two golden calves and told his people that they were the gods that helped them escape from Egypt many years earlier. Then he had a huge festival to worship these gods, and unbelievably, the Israelites went along with it. Then one day, Jeroboam was at one of the altars making a sacrifice, when a man who followed God approached Jeroboam and warned him that his kingdom would soon be ruined. Jeroboam stretched out his arm and shouted, Seize him! As he did, his hand shriveled up. Terrified, Jeroboam pleaded with the man to pray for him. So the man prayed for Jeroboam's hand and it was healed. Even after this display of God's power, Jeroboam still led the people to worship other gods. For years, Jeroboam and Rehoboam were at war. When Rehoboam died, his son and then grandson took over as kings of Judah. His son worshiped other gods just like his father. But Rehoboam's grandson, Asa, was different. Asa got rid of the idols and was fully committed to following God. The northern kingdom of Israel continued to be led by a series of wicked men, none of whom followed God. One of these kings was Ahab, who did more evil in the eyes of God than any king before him. Perhaps worst of all, Ahab married Jezebel a woman from a foreign country who convinced him and almost all of Israel to worship a foreign god named Baal. Because of this, God would need to send a messenger to set things straight. It's a lot to unpack there, isn't it? Well, good morning, East Point. Um, First and foremost, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come and minister word, minister the word before you this morning. Um, when, du- when Pastor Dustin asked me to minister uh, a few weeks ago, we had gotten to a conversation and I was asking him, is there anything in particular that you want me to speak on? And so he had told me he wanted me to reference um, uh, pretty much just our testimony. You know, a lot of you all know that me and my wife and my family, we're new to Ohio, um, but it's a, it's a testimony as to how we got here. And a lot of the testimony, um, you know, we share with many of you in different bits and pieces, but he really wanted me to try to take a few minutes to touch on that. So I definitely want to make sure I leave us some time to do that. Um, and like I say, I'm just going to let the Lord have his way. So 
We'll start off, we'll do a brief recap of the story. Um, so much was in um, the slide video presentation we just saw, and it was, so did a, such a good job of breaking it down that you're gonna see me kind of go through the slides really, really quickly, but I definitely wanna get into the meet and have um, an opportunity to really share the testimony and just some of the things that I've learned um, through the end. So with that said, we'll start off in Deuteronomy 17. So I wanna go back a little bit before we even get into the story of um, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and in Deuteronomy 17, God had laid out some commandments, some ordinances. The people of Israel had decided they wanted to have a, a king, and you know, which is always weird. You, you had God leading you, literally, with a cloud of smoke, but you wanted a king. So God said, okay, you can have a king. And so he laid out a list of ordinances and decrees and commandments. And the reason for these decrees and commandments was because he understood not following these things would turn you away from me. And kind of the, the one word, if I will, that you'll kind of hear repeated throughout today's message is trust. At the core, what do we and who do we trust? When we have to make a decision, do we trust God, God's way, or do we trust our own? And so we'll talk about that a little bit, but we'll pick up in Deuteronomy 17, verses 17. These are some of the um, guidelines that God had given to his kings. He said, first, he must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. Solomon. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Solomon again. It says, when he takes the throne, he is to write for himself a copy of the law. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord God and follow. And then finally, he says, not to consider yourself better than your fellow Israelites and turn from the law. And it's important to understand these guidelines because, again, we look at the life of Solomon, we see a lot of this is exactly what Solomon did. And so even the things that when you think about what we know Solomon for, we know Solomon for being the wisest man, that God, he had godly wisdom. And we know Solomon for claiming all of these riches, all of this gold, all of this wealth. But we don't realize that was outside of God's commandments and outside of God's guidelines. And it's not that God doesn't want us to have. It's outside of God's guidelines because he understands that when you put your trust in those things, when you put your faith in those things, those are the things that are going to turn you away. And so we kind of fast forward. Solomon's at the end of his life. And we, get, we will pick up at uh, 1 Kings 11, um, verses 11. And this is what God told Solomon. He said, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I most certainly will tear the kingdom away and give it to one of your subordinates. And he told Solomon, I won't tear it away from you directly, but I will tear it away from your son. And so you kind of flash forward um, now that led to the arrival of Jeroboam. And so as the story mentioned, Rehoboam now, Solomon died, Rehoboam is going to be anointed king. So the people gathered. And the people had some concerns. Um, they had some legitimate concerns. Because as we talked about, the things that made Solomon rich, he did it on the backs of the people. He heavy taxes. He worked them very, very hard. So they had concerns. And they basically came to Rehoboam with those concerns. And they said, um, as we read in First uh, Kings 12, verses 4 through 6, says, your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So God tells them to go away, and he says, give me three days to think about what you said. First thing he does, he goes to the elders, 
And he asked him, what is your advice? And the elder's advice was to serve the people, give them a favorable response, and in turn, they will serve you. Many people know that great leadership is really embedded in service. But how many people also know that there's a difference between advice and confirmation, or there's a difference between advice and enabling? See, Rehoboam, he wasn't looking for advice. He wanted someone to confirm. He wanted someone to agree with what he wanted. And what he wanted was he wanted to continue the rule of his father. He saw his father, Solomon, had amassed all of these riches, had amassed all of this fame. He wanted that. And so instead of following the advice, he went along with what his friends told him. And if you read down a little bit further, uh, verses 13 through 16, it says, The king answered people harshly. He rejected the advice given to him by the elders, and instead he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, yet I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. And so at hearing this, the people, they decided we don't want real bone to be our king. And I think verse 16 is really important to emphasize. The people's response was this. What share do we have in David? What part of Jesse's son? And why that is important to reference is because the, this is what the, the people were saying, we made you rich. We made you famous. And not necessarily we made it, but you have all these riches, you have all this fame, you have everything at your disposal, but what is it benefiting us? We're just working. We're not receiving it. And so ultimately, um, this caused the people to rebel, and they decided we're going to make Jeroboam the king. And so that led to um, Judah, the house of the tribe of Judah, decided to stay with Rehoboam. All right, so let's fast forward a little, for, uh, little bit further into the reading. So the kingdom's torn, and let's kind of talk about just the highlights of Rehoboam and Jeroboam's rule. All right, so for Rehoboam, we know that he had a form of godliness, but he worshiped other gods. And what this led to, this led to him becoming rebellious against God. And that rebellion actually led to God got so frustrated, he said, I am going to cause Egypt to come and destroy Judah. And remember, Rehoboam had a form of godliness. So when God said this, Rehoboam pleaded to God. He said, please do not let us be destroyed. So at hearing that, Rehoboam said, okay, you won't be destroyed, but I will allow them to come in. I will allow them to take all your riches. I will allow them to pretty much now almost enslave you back to a slave state. And how many people know that the things that we choose, when we choose ourselves over God, it only leads us back to where we started. And so ultimately, Israel, who had come and came out of God's presence, who have come all this way through Moses, through David, they're essentially going right back. And it's all because instead of trusting what God said, following God's direction, they chose to trust themselves. And so moving kind of a little bit further, um, the highlights of Jeroboam, or lowlights if you want to call it, Jeroboam ruled in fear. He was scared that the people would want to return to Judah. And so what he decided to do was he said, I'm going to take away all aspects of God, because if the people don't have God, they'll have me, they'll love me, they'll want me. So he built golden calves to replace God's worship. Um, he replaced all God's priests with foreign men. He rejected God's signs and warnings. Remember the example of the video we saw when the prophet came out to admonish him for what he was doing, and he reached out his hand, and God caused his whole arm to pretty much just kind of disappear. 
And then he pleaded with the man to have God restore him, and God restored him. But to see that miracle, he literally turned right back around and went right back to what he was doing. So he never followed God. He never trusted God. Um, at one point, he attacked Judah he, against God's command. Um, he had brought 800,000 men, and Judah had only 180,000 men, it says. And yet Judah killed 500,000 of his men because he wasn't within God's will. Um, and then finally, his son became very ill, and he sent his wife to Ahijah, who was the same prophet who told him that he would be king. And Ahijah told him, you've been so rebellious against God, you've totally turned away. So not only is your son going to die, I'm going to kill off your entire lineage. And that's what eventually happens. So looking at this, I kind of got this question in my mind, and I want to pose it to you all today. Do you think Jeroboam wanted to be a bad king? As I was thinking about it, I don't think he really intended to be a bad king. I think he wanted to help the people. He had a heart for the people. He just didn't understand. You can only go but so far if you're not in God's will. God gives us our gifts. He places the call on our lives, and he has a purpose for our lives. And if you're not, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but if you're not walking in that purpose that God set, you can never fully accomplish what you intend because you're trying to do it in your own strength. So ultimately, Jeroboam, he believed in good politics more than he believed in God's promise. And because of this, his attempt to save the kingdom was the very thing that caused him to lose it. Um, you know, there's an old saying that says, if you want something different than you've had before, you have to be willing to do something other than what you already know. So think about it. When Jeroboam feared losing the people, why did he immediately go to creating calves and other gods to worship? Well, because that's what he knew. These were his habits. And the one thing that I want us to realize is what God wants, God wants us to replace our habits with his revelation. Because when we do, we move forward. And when we don't, we operate within our own cycles. All right? Understand, we can only operate within our thoughts. But God doesn't think he knows. So what he speaks comes to pass. And yet so often, we trust our own thoughts over God's knowledge. And one of the things that we really have to realize is our thoughts, they're cycles. Um, they're experiences of our history. Therefore, when we rely on ourselves and our own intellect and our own decision-making, we always go back to what we already know. We can't think above what we already know. So our thoughts and our cycles and our habits, they only can relate us back to where we've been. They can't move us forward because we're stuck in that. That's how we're created. That's what we operate off of. But yeah, so many times, like that, we went back, we end right back where we started. Again, the same cycle that's repeated by habits, but we have to understand, again, God's revelation is knowledge, or God's knowledge is revelation, rather. It's always original. You know, there's a scripture that says God is always doing a new thing. So quickly, let's talk about what went wrong. So what went wrong here with uh, Roboam, and how can we make sure we're not making those same mistakes? Um, there's a scripture that I really, really love. Um, one of my favorites, it comes from Psalms 37, 3 through 5, and it says, Trust in the Lord God and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will do this. 
Now, verse 4 is a very, very popular scripture. It says, when it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your desires. But yet, I think we, so often we look at it and we read it the wrong way. We read it where it says, he will give us the desires of our heart. And we take it as, he'll give us what we want. But I think we put the emphasis on the wrong words. I think it's saying that he will give you the desires of your heart. And what I mean by that is, he will place what he purposed, the gifts and the calling that he gave you, that he has for you to accomplish, he will place that in your heart so that you can carry out what his purpose, what his will is. He will give you the desires of your heart, meaning we all have a purpose. We all have a gift and a calling on our life that we're set to accomplish that is the reason for us being on this earth. But who will we trust when it comes time to carry that out? Will we trust our own abilities to do it? Or will we carry it out within God's timing, God's word, and God's plan? And so Andre said something last week that I kind of want to touch on, because when he said it, it just hit me. He said, we were designed for companionship, not isolation. We were designed for intimacy and not loneliness. And when he said that, my, my mind immediately went to God. And the reason why I went to God, because the two words that came up was relationship and worship. So he says, we were designed for companionship, not isolation. Companionship is relationship. We were designed for companionship with God. And then we were designed for intimacy, not loneliness. It says we were designed for intimacy. That's worship. It says intimacy. Into me you see. And what you have to understand is, I teach a, a worship class to um, some of our, the children of the church, and one of the things that we've established was what intimacy, I mean, I'm sorry, what worship is, is allowing a piece of you, whether it's an emotion or senses, but it's taking a piece of you and it's allowing God to see into that. It's surrendering it to God so he can see into that. And then in turn, God opens up so you can see into him, and then there's a connection that's established. And through that connection, there's a bond that's built. That's intimacy. It's seeing into me. and I mean, it's being able to see into me. And so, as I kind of uh, kind of move forward from there into our, our, our experience and a little bit of our testimony, about uh, two years ago, you know, I had a really good job. We were in Merlin. Was making over hundred thousand dollars. Everything was set. You know, we had everything going for us. I had a great supervisor. I had a great team that was under me. I had everything that I could want. Nothing was wrong. But a little bit before that, I just told God, I really want to know what your purpose for my life is. And so God caused me to simply just become unhappy. I don't even know why I became unhappy. Everything was good. So I remember talking to my supervisor and telling her, I'm just, I'm not happy here. It's, it, I feel like it's time to go. And we were both almost in tears because she's like, why would you want to leave? Did I do something? I'm like, no, I don't know. And so ultimately God caused me to leave that job for another job. And when I left for the other job, <laughs> it's funny because that job didn't just went total chaos. Like literally everything was wrong. Everybody hated each other. And so during the same time, you know, we had suddenly our household had become filled with just a real deep battle of depression, a real deep bout of it. And as I said in the first service, um, and again, I don't know why I say that, but it's, I feel like we go through things so other people can know that we can relate. It is nothing wrong with seeking help, seeking counseling, seeking therapy. Please understand that. 
we all need it. And sometimes we all need somebody to help and somebody to talk to. And so we went, to, we went through a bout of depression to the point where my wife was almost committed suicide. And when it happened, I was going, things were going crazy on my job, and now things are going crazy at home. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, quit your job. I'm like, quit my job? And so I followed, I quit my job, I went home, now I have no income. And then suddenly there was a little bit of peace at home. I was able to kind of take care of my wife's need and kind of tend to the family. We kind of built some things. So I found some things working out. And so, but again, we don't have no income. So God said, put your house in forbearance. So I put the house in forbearance. And then slowly but surely, God started providing just means to, you know, cover every bill. We never lacked. I didn't have a job, but whenever something needed, somebody came, whether it came. Um, some job opportunity, some business opportunity, some small things came. So this carried on for about three months. So we went from about September to December. And at this time, I'm getting a little restless. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? What am I here for? What are we going through this for? Like this storm just came out the blue. What is it? And God reminded me. He said, you sought me. So I'm here. I'm going to carry you through this. And so, you know, we fast forward in December. And I remember around Christmas, at the end of December, we get a phone call. Um, and before I say this, I should say, even about a year before, God had started putting my heart that we were supposed to leave Merlin. And I approached my wife about it, and she was like, no, not at this time. So I'd forgotten about that. But in the brown Christmas, we get a call here in Columbus. Our goddaughter had gotten shot and killed. And she was only 20 years old, and she had just had a baby. And that hit us. And then around the same time, we get a message from um, my wife's father that he's terminal. He only has a couple of months left to live. And then immediately God came and he said, this is when you move. He had called us to move. I didn't realize that everything he was preparing me for wasn't going to be in Merlin. I mean, I had so much established in Merlin. I was in ministries. I was um, deep into children's activities and sports and dealing with a lot of inner city youth and I was doing so much, but I didn't realize that it wasn't my calling there. And so we immediately moved. We put the house up for sale. We had to find the money to fix it. God provided. And then I remember the, first, the day when we went to closing. And the first thing, the first paper that we signed, and we're at closing, and they say, you know, they say, uh, this, this paper is, so you're signing, acknowledging that your house isn't in forbearance. And remember, I told you our house was in forbearance. And then he said, and we, I look at my wife like, what do we do? And so then he says, but... We already checked. We already had to go through the process. We know your house isn't in Fort Burns and so on and so forth. And we're looking at each other like, our house isn't Fort Burns. But we didn't say nothing. We said, God made it work. God said, it's time to go. So who knows? When God says it's time to go, he works it out. So we were, but I'm trusting in his timing. So he said, it's time to go. So we signed it. We signed everything. Now we're looking for a house. We got to close in a month. We had came up here a couple of separate weeks, and we were all over the, you know, the city, and we're looking. We don't know where to go. And there were places that we liked. But I didn't have a job. I didn't have no job here. I didn't have any prospects. I had one interview, and it was almost like it wasn't an interview. I was interviewing them the whole time, like, do you have any questions for me? And so <laughs> we get there, and so we, though we a couple of weeks, and now it's the weekend before we have to move, right? And so we suddenly drive past. Um, we decide we're here. We're just looking at places now. And so we had decided, I mean, we have five kids. So I mean, we have five kids. It's me and my wife and five kids. And so we were looking at bigger places, maybe rent a house, maybe do this, maybe do that. 
And so then the, the thought came in our mind, well, our kids love to stay at hotels, so maybe we'll rent a hotel for a couple of months and you know, we'll figure it out. So in that, in that last weekend we're looking, across the street, we came across this little apartment and our mind said, you know, well, I remember it was God who's confirming it, but he said, you know, if we're gonna stay in a hotel, maybe we should just stay in this apartment. You know, it'll be a little more comfortable. It'll give us some time to think. You know, we have to pay out the lease. We'll pay out the lease. And I never remember driving up the street and we looking to the left. We're like, oh, there's a church. It says East Point. Maybe we'll check that out. And so we get to this. We see this apartment. It's the last one we're looking at. We literally hit the road the same day, and we said, you know what? It's going to fit our needs. Now remember, we had we hadn't been applying for apartments because we didn't have. Um, a job, you gotta have a job to do it, or at least an offer letter. And so we said, we like this apartment. Going home, this is the last weekend, going home after we had decided we liked that apartment, I get a call from that job that didn't even interview me and said, we wanna offer you the job. Now think, if I would've, beforehand, if we would've got off of that job, it probably was other things we would've applied for because we wasn't looking. We had a two bedroom apartment for a wife and five kids, like that was not what we wanted. But God has a plan, and so, we learned, so we said, okay, that's what we wanted. God confirmed it. He gave me the job, right time, we're there. And when I say this, it has been a blessing. Like, you know, a lot of you all know me and my wife. It's been a blessing just to be here. The opportunity to serve, the opportunity to just be a part of something, the opportunity to communicate and develop and get new family. It's like we're starting to see ministries unfold, both here and other places that have just allowed us to really tap into the gifts and the calling that God has placed on our lives. Just me up here preaching. My wife told me the day she met me, I was never planned on being a preacher. I didn't grow up in a church. She said, you're going to be a preacher. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but you know, through different things and different, you know, experiences. Now I'm up here and I'm preaching. And I have people calling me and I'm like, you know, but it's, it's just understanding God's words. So as I wrap up, um, and like I say, and, and so the, the, the testimony itself is still going. I mean, it's, it's even more, we're not even at the end of it. Um, we kind of flash forward now. We've been here about six or seven months. That job that I had was like three levels, remember I told you, I was about to take over a whole county. That job was about four levels lower than what I was used to. And so, you know, now we're trying, it's time to look for a house. I don't make enough to make a house, I mean to get a house. And so, you know, God led my wife to go back to work. She hadn't worked in about three years, but she has a heart for teaching, her ministry, her calling is teaching. God led her and found her the school that she was supposed to be at to where she's serving the kids, to where she's enjoying what she's doing. And then I was like, okay, God, but well, we still need a little bit more. And so God recently, and I've given this experience to some of you, he, uh, he just blessed me with a new job, a job that I didn't even apply for. I applied for the lower job, and they called me back out and said, no, we want you to interview for the higher job. And in two days span, I went from applying for the lower job, interview for that, to him giving me the higher job. He's like, okay, now let's go find a house. And so that's where we are now. Like you say, God is still moving. So um, as I, I'll hopefully get an opportunity to come back and tell you how it's going because it's, it's not over. The, the testimony's not over. But what I want to leave you with um, today is four ways that I've learned to trust God through this process. And then this is how I'll wrap up. First, we have to learn to trust God's gifts. First Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. And then there's a scripture in Romans 11 where it says, God's gifts and calls are irrevocable. Do you know what that means? It means that the call and the gift that God gave you, 
There's nothing you can do to change it. There's nothing you can do to revoke it. But one doesn't work without the other. So you can't say, I have God's gift, but I'm not going to wait for his call. Nope. Or you can't say, there's a call to know my life, but I'm not going to operate in my gifts. It says they're irrevocable, but it also has that word in the middle, and. His gifts and his calls are irrevocable. Second way, trust God's timing. Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things, God's work for, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him and are called for his purpose. When you're walking in your purpose, it will work out for the good, no matter what it may seem like at any time. Then there's another scripture in Proverbs 16 where it says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Trust God's timing. Third, trust God's plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. We have to trust his plan because he has one. And then fourth, trust God's way. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He's thinking forward. We think in cycles. He's thinking in revelation. We're only thinking about our experiences and where we've been. You have to trust God's way. So as my time is up, I'll leave you with this. Be careful, of the, uh, be, careful, be careful of whose advice you take. And if you have a big decision and you haven't sought God with a decision, seek him. Then listen for his answer and his direction, and then follow that. Remember, God works through storms, too. So if you find yourself going through a storm, trust God and find God in it. Understand that not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some storms actually come to clear a path forward. Um, and with that, my time is up, so I'm going to close this out in prayer, and then we're going to watch a, a video of, um, of our man of God. Father God, we thank you for trust. We thank you for the opportunity to trust. We thank you for believing in us so much that you've placed these gifts and you've placed these calls on each and every one of our lives. And we pray that you may always show your mercy in dealing with us and always lead us back to you in regards to trust. And we pray that everything we do, we may acknowledge you. We may acknowledge you and allow you to direct our paths. We may trust in you and lean on you, even against our own understanding, Father, that no matter what we may go through, we understand that all things work to the greater good of those who love you and those who trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. from Nairobi, Kenya. So far, we've experienced COVID tests, way too much time in airports, a 14-hour plane ride, delivering fun gifts to loved ones, taking walks through tropical tea fields, crazy Nairobi driving, fun times with animals, and lots of quality time with our family. And don't forget the many power outages. But the real highlight of the week was getting to help out at the Christmas party that True International threw for the street kids from Githarai, Kenya. These kids, who tend to range anywhere in age from 10 to 20, 
generally live on the streets under an overpass and sort trash for their living. They are treated like stray dogs by the local community. The True International works to help restore their walk with God and others by meeting their basic needs, such as food and clothing, teaching them how to follow Jesus, then ultimately getting them an education and teaching them employable skills. But Wednesday was all about celebrating the hope of Christmas with them. When each of the 100 or so boys came in, they were given new shirts, pants, and shoes in their sizes. Then they played a number of games, heard the Christmas story and the testimony of a former street boy, followed by being served a delicious meal on real china with real silverware. It's always a real eye-opener to see these boys who have all the worries of simply surviving from day to day to get to experience the joy of Christmas, even if it's just for a few hours one day. It's also quite humbling to watch them eat, not knowing where their next meal will come from. But the real fun comes when we get to dream about which boy might be the next one to get saved, to have their lives transformed by Christ, and be the next one up there sharing their testimony. Hi, my name is Tyler Maxwell. Uh, my family and I have been in Nairobi, Kenya for the last 10 years working with street kids. We want to thank you for your monthly support and partnership and your prayers. Uh, you allow us to be the hands and feet of Christ. We want to thank you for raising money uh, for scholarships for our kids. Uh, we are able to put six kids in school and training and disciple them this year because of you. Thank you so much. We definitely have some only God can size dreams. We've got two families that have come out to join us in ministry and we're very excited to see where God is taking uh, this work with street kids. Uh, one of the dreams that we have that only God can do is to have a training center where we can take the kids off the street, uh, train them in a trade such as carpentry, mechanics, IT, catering, and disciple them. And uh, we are just praying that God will, will make that dream come to fruition. Uh, we're very excited to see you uh, in the future uh, with a team with uh, East Point, and uh, we thank you for your prayers and your support. God bless. So uh, if you could be praying for the Fultons, they're supposed to get back on the 23rd, uh, which is Thursday. And um, so just pray for their safe return. Pray for the work that's happening in Kenya. Um, I'm a little stressed out, to be honest with you, because if Dustin doesn't make it back, if the flights are delayed, he's not here for Christmas Eve, which um, makes things a little more complicated for us. So be praying for that um, somewhat selfishly uh, for my own peace of mind, but also, yeah, for their, for their safety and their um, and for their happy return. I have two announcements today before we take off. First off is Christmas Eve. Uh, please plan on joining us if you can. doesn't look like it's going to snow this year, so hopefully the roads are safe, unlike last year. Uh, it's going to be at 3.30 and 5 o'clock. Identical services. Pick one, show up, and have a great time as we celebrate uh, the greatest miracle that's ever happened on this planet. And after that, on December 26th as well as January 2nd, we're only going to have one service, and that's at 11 o'clock. So if you show up early, we're going to put you to work, uh, whether it's, you know, making coffee or, you know, vacuuming or whatever. So uh, feel free to come early, but if not, uh, come at 11 o'clock on the 26th and the 2nd. Uh, programming note, on December 26th, the kids will be in here with us. So if you have kids, uh, there will not be Children's Church on the 26th. However, on January 2nd, there will be Kids Church um, programming available as well. And that's all I have for you. God bless. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you on Friday.